massive bonus. It's just after quarter past 12 right now. Join us on Facebook Live if you're a movie or Marshy fan, because that's where we are, and it's time to say hi and find out what's going on at Flickers. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm OK, thank you. Totally good. Do you want to...? Yes, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm yeah, all, th all things considered, I'm, uh, I'm ha holding it all together, quite literally, right now. Yeah, jolly good. Come on, you might as well spill the beans a little. He had an operation, little, nothing bad, not, not, the lobotomy's next, and you're getting better. So that's brilliant news. Yes, I had my gallbladder taken out. Come on, what, what did you week, do with it? Did, did they let you keep it? I, it's, yeah, it's in a pot. Well, they, the gallstones... Come on. OK, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> this is... <clears throat> I knew you'd okay, have so it. Okay, so a treat, a treat for the FP. Do, do it now before everybody joins. That's nasty. That's really, really. Isn't that horrible? Quite nasty. I, f I feel They're like quite... painting a mouth and eyes on it. That's a gallbladder. Yeah, we've I never was... had a gallbladder on Morning Brew. <laughs> well, these are the gallstones. So the actual blood oh, and the skin wrapped around it. A bit like it was a bit like a haggis. You know? So they peeled Probably the haggis. Probably as good and as well. It was well. just packed. It was packed full of um, gallstones and gunk and bile. So I, I might be a lot more pleasant to talk to from now on. Are you a new without man? Without all of that inside me. Are you a new man, do you think? <laughs> well, well, let's let's see how, how well I heal. And then... Uh, this is a first. You know. Yeah, my first gallstones gall live on Morning morning Brew. Thank you. Well, you're, I feel honoured. You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> let's get to it. What do you got? Okay, well, fortunately, I was able to see all of this week's releases before I was admitted. And so we have uh, Worth, we have Benedetta, Don't Breathe 2, yeah. The Cursed Dead Man's Prey, and also Your Eyes Tell. So we'll do our best to get through as many of those as possible. Um, the, the only other thing to talk about, I suppose, is that when did it drop? Late yesterday was the first trailer for the new Matrix movie, yeah. The Matrix Resurrections. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that. Um, Not my but bag, one really. of the I'm sure our experts have. Yeah, though. well, I mean, you know, the official stance I think for most people is that the you know the first film, the 1999, so it's more than 30 years old. Does that make it more than th more than 20? More than 20 years old. Yeah. Um, the first film. Uh, was a groundbreaking piece of science fiction in terms of how it melded martial arts with modern-day uh, action, how it used all of these new uh, visual techniques like bullet time and all the rest of it, and it created a whole... Um, well, its aesthetic of this kind of sort of cyberpunk chic uh, really influenced like the whole industry for many years to come. Um, the sequels that followed were kind of left something to be desired they kind of muddied the water from what was just this very sort of clean cut piece of high concept sci-fi action to you know all of this kind of cod philosophizing and um you know rather too much talking and not enough walking right uh and so it's now been nearly 20 years since the last one of those and Lana Wachowski one of the Wachowskis so half of the original directorial team is back behind uh, behind the helm or at the helm and the original cast from the trailer or most of the original cast look to have returned you've got Keanu Reeves has come back Carrie Ann Moss has come back uh, you have some new cast members as well um, it is quite obviously quite enigmatic the new trailer you know it's lots of sparkling imagery and lots of, sort of action sequences without really giving too much away about what the plot is going to be we will be getting that uh, in December this year. I mean, I, I think the big takeaway is that 
the image of I mean Ke- that Keanu Reeves is going with is far more in line with his John Wick look than with Neo. You know, he's still he's got the long hair, he's got the shaggy beard. We see him taking blue pills every day, so maybe he's trying to keep himself, you know, uh, oblivious to to the realities of the, that are going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, it teases it teases a lot of interesting ideas. Um, if anybody's just joined us, James, which they probably have because we woke them up, just remind us what we're talking about. We're talking about the new trailer for The Matrix Resurrections, yeah. which uh, just dropped last night Ooh, and huh. is sure to be one of the big talking points. What do you think? Christmas. What do you think? That's what we want to know. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, so there's lots, there's lots of interest in there. They seem to have moved away from the original kind of sort of murky green aesthetic of the first films. It's got a very different but rather striking look to it. But, uh, but we'll sh- we shall see. You know, we're all in, all in due course. Lovely, lovely. So, suffice to say that that train, you know, is, has now left the station and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a moving forward and hopefully, <laughs> uh, you know, COVID and all the rest of it won't prevent it from coming out yeah, when enough. it's supposed to in December. Is this your thing? Are you a Matrix boy? Actually, actually I, I've got to be honest, not especially. Um, you know, I, I remember being relatively cool on the first one when it came out. I was... Um, in my early 20s. Mm. I, I remember it came out the summer when I graduated from university. and Your gallstone was just a grain of sand in those days. Oh, yeah, it was just a, a speck in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It was but a scratch yeah. back then. But, um, but no, I mean, I remember thinking it was, it was fine and it was cool and it had some interesting things, but I, I was as surprised as anybody when it became such a... Um, uh, a behemoth, if you like, when it became so hugely because of the because of the photo- photographic, uh, um, you know, totally avant-garde photography. Yeah, yeah, from the photography to the the use of uh, you know, Kung, Hong Kong kung fu martial arts uh, choreography. You know, Yun Wu Ping was brought in. Yeah, which was the first time that he'd been brought into a Hollywood movie. He was then. He then became like the go-to guy with Crouching Tiger and then Kill Bill and things like that. But uh, this was, it was such a new approach to action movies and to sci-fi movies. But I don't, there was something about it that just kind of left me cold at the time. All right. And, um, you know, but it just became a phenomenon. So what do I know? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. What are we going to riff apart today? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be plenty that we will rip apart. What I wanted to start with, however, is a film called Worth. Oh, yeah. That is um, here in cinemas right now. I think in most of the rest of the world it's playing on Netflix, but a local distributor has snapped it up, and so it's actually playing in cinemas here. Hmm. Uh, as, as we are only too aware, this weekend is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Tomorrow. And so, uh, indeed. And so there are a number of sort of programs, projects, documentaries, what have you. Uh, there's an interesting pro- um, documentary that I will just bring up very quickly that I wasn't planning to, um, that I saw last week that's, that is on Netflix called um, 9-11 uh, Inside the President's War Room, mm-hmm. I think it is. And it is sort of candid, in-person, new interviews with uh, Bush and Cheney, Condoleezza Rice, Corin Powell, all those, all those people who were obviously in the president's war room, and it just lays out what he was doing that day and how they were moving him around. Because you know, obviously, remember he was at that primary school down in Florida, 
early in the morning when he found out what had happened. And um, they, the last thing they wanted to do was take him back to Washington, but that was the only thing that he wanted to do. And so they kept sort of moving him around the country all day. Now, I've seen some people sort of uh, be a little aggressive towards this documentary, saying uh, it's quite uncomfortable listening to people like Bush and Cheney essentially push their, the same rhetoric that they were pushing 20 years ago all Deja over vu. again. Yeah. But I thought it was actually... I thought it was actually quite a fascinating in how it just sort of laid out the minute by minute uh, activities of, you know, the commander in chief and keeping him safe, keeping Air Force One in the air and all of that kind of thing. Just the, uh, the, the, the workings of that that day and how it unfolded. I thought it was quite interesting. That's on Netflix. Um, that's not actually what I wanted to talk about. Mm. What I wanted to talk about is a film called, called Worth which is um, a, a drama starring Michael Keaton as uh, Ken Feinberg, who was uh, elected or, or hired to be the special master for the 9-11 Victims uh, Compensation Fund. Mm. And so it's all about how that, how that compensation fund was put together, uh, the methodology and the thinking behind it, why it was controversial, why it was unpopular, why it took an incredibly long time for anybody to sign up for it to get on board essentially as soon as you know the dust had settled on 9-11 yeah uh the go the government was incredibly worried that you've now got sort of 3,000 plus victims all of whom uh are probably primed now or soon to file you know compensation to sue the airlines or sue the government or sue those who they seemed uh were responsible for for what happened and so the government and particularly the big companies uh, who might have been the targets of sort of civil lawsuits uh, wanted something put in place that would prevent that and so they came up with this idea of a compensation fund hmm. whereas uh, you know all, all the victims would be awarded a lump sum tax-free on the condition that they then didn't do didn't sue anybody afterwards mm. that they would just take that and shut up mm. <clears throat> and michael keaton plays plays the uh, the washington lawyer who he actually in the film he actually volunteers to take the job that nobody wants which is to essentially sort of create the algorithm if you like for determining how much everybody gets and obviously he's getting a lot of pressure from you know the survivors uh you know, relatives of the victims who range obviously from first responders to office staff to obviously bigwigs in the companies that were uh, that were impacted in the tower and then on the other hand you've got the um the big highfalutin lawyers yeah. of those top C ceos and what have you say who say well my client was worth million so many millions and millions right. of dollars he's not surely he doesn't get the same as the guy who was sweeping his office and so the film is called Worth, and essentially Gosh. the question hanging over the film is how much is a life is a life worth? Got it. And does it matter what they were doing, why they were there, uh, and all the rest of it? And so it is this great sort of moral quandary. And I thought it was actually handled pretty well, pretty effectively. You know, it goes exactly where you think it's going to go. I mean, most people will probably know what the outcome of it was anyway. Uh, you know, and you and you you follow the trajectory of this. Like I said. Um, old wealthy uh, Washington lawyer who whose specialty was putting a number on compensation you know putting it putting a value on a life and you see him teaching law students how to how to do that 
without uh, any kind of uh, emotional response or, or maintaining an emotional detachment. And it's, you know, it's all about sort of an, an awakening from his point of view. Right. You know, that he can't be so cold and cut off and clinical, that he has to be sympathetic and empathetic to the individual plights. His mantra that he keeps saying is, well, we can't, we can't deal with each of these cases individually. And the response is always, well, why not? Yep. You know, they are all individuals. It was all different. And I thought, considering you know, you kind of know where this movie is going, and Hollywood does have a tendency to over-sentimentalise and, and make massive melodramas out of this kind of story, uh, I thought it was handled with a degree of reservation and tact and uh, sensitivity uh, without sort of just going ahead and bashing all of the, uh, all of the suits really yep. so uh yeah i was quite i was i was actually quite taken by it it was, it was pretty decent wow not bad at all all right remind us once again what it's called okay that is called worth and that is out in cinemas if you're in hong kong that is out in cinemas in hong kong right now i think elsewhere you can find it on netflix jolly good a few seconds before the news what are you going to get into Okay, well, the, the other one I really want to get into is the new Paul Verhoeven film. Ooh. You know, obviously, Dutch director, he did Basic Instinct. He's got a new sexy nun movie Yeehaw. called Benedetta. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll do that after the news. Twelve thirty-one. It is more news at one o'clock. You had me on sexy none, so let me ask our listeners if they'd like to become viewers. Join us on Facebook Live, two for one package, for the next fifteen minutes or so. Love to hear what you have to say about this stuff, anyway. And he started off today by asking about the uh, Matrix trailer, right? So, have you seen it? Mm. What do you reckon? Morning Brewers, our address or yours? Okay, so Benedetta, yes, is the new sexy nun movie from Paul Verhoeven, who is uh, an Agent provocateur, if ever there was one. Uh, you know, he is probably most famous for directing Basic Instinct and Showgirls. Before that, he did Total Recall and, uh, of course, Robocop. Yep. He, you know, he, uh, after making a, a number of Dutch movies, uh, some of which were very sort of salacious. And uh, more, most recently, he did Elle with Isabelle Huppert. Uh, a lot of that same French... French crew from El carry over now into uh, into Benedetta, which actually tells the story of a 17th century Italian convent. Oh yeah, and a young girl and a young girl there called Benedetta, who uh, is uh, she she takes her orders very young age. She's handed over to a convent uh, run by Charlotte Rampling's mother superior. Now she has always claimed that she uh, can can. Uh, converse with the Virgin Mary, All right. and as she goes, as she gets older um, into young womanhood, uh, these continue and become even more. Uh, <clears throat> uh, more. We say, more, more. They, really? they, they get more. <laughs> they get. They get more. Uh, now, the situation is complicated when a young, another young woman comes into the uh, the convent, Bartolomea played by Daphne Patakia. Uh -huh. uh, she is um, from an abused home. She comes in to escape, take refuge, escape from her father, who has, in her words, uh, taken me for his wife after her mother dies. Um, 
And very quickly, uh, there's a sort of strange flirtatious relationship between Benedetta and Bartolomea. Uh, Bartolomea is very sort of uh, open and confident with with her her body and with the way she talks. You know, she's uh, very crass and vulgar in some ways. But uh, Benedetta is undeniably taken by her. uh, And Bartolomea starts making sort of physical advances towards her. And that seems to tie in with Benedetta having sort of sexually explicit visions of her and Jesus. Right. Uh, you know, she she is raised to with the belief that she is the bride of Christ, as as all of these nuns are, you know. But that is, for her, more than simply a mantra. And uh, suddenly the, the lines blur between what is real and what is not real. Right. And uh, very soon that upsets the, the, uh, the Mother Superior, played by, as I said, Charlotte Rampling, to the point that she turns to the nun, El Nuncio and, and to the church and to the, the, it must be pointed out, the men who are ultimately in charge to uh, do something about this. As I've said, looking back on Paul Verhoeven's back catalogue, you know, he, he loves this kind of sort of erotica, uh, but there's always... Break those taboos, right? Always, yeah, he does like to uh, challenge, challenge our taboos and um, our, our, where our moral compass lies, but there's always something going on a bit more. And here, although there is some very sort of sexually explicit imagery, mm-hmm. uh, not least between the two women as they, as they do consummate their feelings for one another, mm-hmm. what he's really looking... His, his, his target... Or his hairs are really set at the um, at the patriarchy and tearing down sort of the the construct of the Catholic Church and the, these men who are in positions of power who obviously exploit it for their own gain, but also it's essentially men in power telling women what they can and cannot do with their bodies, which is obviously a topic all too relevant today in certain parts of the world. Yes, Not Texas, for example. Um, so you know, there's a going on it's, a, it's quite fun you know the Verhoeven's style is never too sort of dour or morbid uh, the uh, the vision sequences are incredibly sort of surreal and um, you know with, with snake writhing snakes and uh, Jesus literally riding in on a horseback on horseback wielding a sword and all this kind of you know it's a very sort of romanticized <laughs> extreme it's imagery it's white jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes i'm assuming almost yeah you know almost <laughs> and verhoeven has a very he has a very strong sense of humor which often comes out in a lot of stuff and, yeah, yeah. and in ways that that more conservative audiences might start clutching their pearls at but i think you know <laughs> he's sitting there that's exactly what he wants and he's laughing and enjoying himself through all of this and deep down, he knows that, you know, the people who are going to be offended are, are going to find plenty to be offended by. But deep down, he's got something far more interesting to say. And it's got nothing to do with the fact yeah, yeah. that these two, these two girls want to have a physical relationship. And that's kind of his point. He's like, why are you getting so hung up on this? There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is all of these men, particularly, who have a problem with that. And you know, and inevitably, as this, as this, uh, with with a film like this, a sort of non exploitation film, <laughs> uh, it all heads towards a kind of witch trial, you know, because the only defence of the church in this kind of situation is declare them a witch and have them burnt at the stake. And so it all sort of heads in that direction, in in a quite sort of over the top kind of way. And it's so it's actually it's actually all good fun. Really. Oh right, not for the nuns. Uh, well. 
bits of it might be. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the outcome, but uh, well, you know, each individual nun deals with it in a very different okay. way because of the uh, because of the impositions put upon them by uh, by men in powerful places. Okay, then this is out in the cinemas. This is out in cinemas. This premiered at the Cannes Film Festival a couple of months ago. It's uh, it's called Benedetta. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's got a category three rating, of course, because there is some uh, frisky nudity, should we say? Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, if you're not easily triggered by superficial <laughs> uh, uh, imagery or whatever, then uh, there's this there is, is something. Yeah, there's something quite interesting going on. You know, he's got he's got some good points. He makes some valid points, uh, and has a lot of fun making them. All right then, brilliant. Next, right? Okay, so very quickly, got a couple here. Okay, so Don't Breathe Two is sequel to Don't Breathe, which was, if you remember, was a home invasion film where a group of kids break into a house only to realise that the blind guy who lives there is an ex Navy SEAL. Oh yeah, who's also Wham, a bam, bit of a nasty piece, nasty piece of work. Yep, and. Uh, yeah, takes them all out, but then you find out that actually he's kind of a bad guy as well. This is set some time later where he has a young woman living with, with him, a girl, teenage girl living with him, uh, who he realizes is not, is not his daughter, but is sort of a, uh, a kidnappee, if you like, who, who he has domesticated. Okay. Uh, and they've, they've, yeah, and they've settled into this weird kind of sort of domestic situation. She's not exactly allowed to go out and go to school and do all that normal stuff, but she is sort of given relatively free reign. Uh, of course, they are targeted, her specifically, by another gang of particularly nasty guys. Uh, we're not exactly sure whether they are uh, rapists or just burglars or sex traffickers or what it is they want, but they see this young girl and they think, okay, we're going to nab her. And so they, again, break into this house where... Um, where the, this this blind uh, former Navy SEAL turned serial kidnapper uh, lives, and uh, he turns the tables on them. Simple plot it's an lines, odd brilliant, movie, though. not least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's odd, not least because it takes the character who was arguably the villain of the first film and tries to t- turn him into a slightly more uh, empathetic character this time out. Uh, you know, we're supposed to kind of be on his side. It has a few gnarly twists and turns as the, the, the truth behind their motivations uh, are unveiled and it gets increasingly ridiculous as it goes along. Right. Um, but I, th- I think, I mean, this is, this is nothing more than a sort of a late-night Friday night horror movie. Okay. It's, uh, you know, got some fairly nasty kill scenes and that kind of thing as he defends his his castle if you like from these uh home alone meets. even more um, <laughs> well yeah it's, it's kind of home alone meets meets kind of hostile or something <laughs> like that it's a it's it's quite unpleasant brilliant but it's like how do you how do you make a, a nasty person s- sympathetic it's like well by by sur- pitting him against even more unpleasant people that's true and so uh and so the only, you know, your only sort of moral grounding point here is uh, this teenage girl who's stuck at the middle of everything. And uh, the, that character is probably one of the less well-defined characters in the piece. But um, so it, it kind of does what it sets out to do. It does, so it doesn't set out to do particularly much, um, but it kind of achieves what it sets out to do. And I think, you know, you, you already know if this is for you or not. And it's quite... Is it for you? Uh, 
Well, I was, I mean, it kind of trundles along and, and entertains to a degree, but I, you know, I couldn't get past this fact of, no, hang on a minute, this guy is such a horrible person, and we know that what, all the things that he has done, and he's keeping this particular child there, arguably against her will too. Um, so I don't think you can really garner much sympathy for him, despite their best efforts, and, and despite the fact that you've got Stephen Lang um, portraying it. Stephen Lang's probably best known to most people as sort of the bad guy from Avatar. Okay. You know, the really sort of the jacked military guy yeah, with yeah, white yeah. hair and the yeah. big scar across the face. That guy. Um, and it's a strange performance from him, you know, because he, he's quite wiry and he sort of obviously shuffles around because he's blind and he, and he speaks in this sort of very sort of unsettling whisper. And so he's, you know, he's, he's not a character you can easily warm towards. So uh, I think if you just, yeah, I, th I think... Uh, you know, late night horror people might might find something to, but not to like. Not in many it. other people, the, basically. Not much. Not much, really. All and, right. Uh, it's certainly a it's certainly a difficult second step after the first film, which quite clearly lays out who the goodies and who the bads are. Don't breathe. Two. All right then. Come on, let's go mm. on. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, this is quite tiring. Okay, uh, the curse. Dead nap. man's prey is a. It is almost. It is almost, yeah. Uh, the Cursed Dead Man's Prey is a uh, Korean film. It's a spin-off of a TV show yes. from about a year ago called The, called the Cursed. Uh, and it essentially is a sort of horror, horror story about a, um, a, a self-styled uh, detective, sort of underworld detective. She investigates... Uh, paranormal activities and who, who's teamed up with a teenage girl who has certain paranormal skills certain special skills should we say right now th this film centers on a murder that takes place a guy in his apartment is murdered by a dead body fair enough when they arrive on the scene the 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 killer is a dead body that's been dead for about three months and is just lying there on the ground next to him uh the body seems to have infected the victim with the poison normally you found in uh, puffer fish uh yeah and so there is yeah so you're like what's going on here uh so they call it and then this uh this sort of paranormal investigator she is contacted on the right live on the radio mm -hmm. by someone claiming to the beat to be the killer saying i want to have a one-on-one -on -one with you uh so they arrange this one-on-one -on -one, which has to be live streamed and he says Okay, I want the head of this particular pharmaceutical company to uh, confess live on air to all of his sins and apologize to the nation in two days or I'm just going to start killing off the, the top management of this pharmaceutical company. Nice. And everyone's like, what is going on? Don't understand what is going on. I don't, they don't even understand exactly what he's supposed to be apologizing for. Obviously, he has no interest in apologizing. Uh, however, you know, it all seems to, uh, you know, spark the interest of this uh, paranormal detective woman and so she goes sort of poking around and the police haven't got any clues and so they are quite happy to have her help now it's fairly it's fairly fun you know it's a kind of nice sort of well-paced uh little horror movie you know there are elements of shamanism going on there it's kind of sort of a zombie movie because people who have been um infected with uh, this kind of shamanic spell if you like then rise up from the grave and that's how they're killing people it's written by yun sang ho who directed not least train to putsan mm. so it's got some good the sort of film. creds behind 
behind the scenes and it has this massive set action set piece in the middle with this sort of army of marauding zombies running through the streets and running through uh, Korean a, movie, uh, a sort zombies. of office building. Nice. Yeah, this it's almost worth watching just for the particular action sequence and the way that it's choreographed. It's almost choreographed like a sort of Busby Ber Berkeley musical at one point. <laughs> and so you're like, they're clearly, so it's got quite a sort of sense of humour about it. Oh. Um, so I kind of appreciated that. Um, you don't really need to know much about the TV show to just go and enjoy it for what it is. I hadn't seen the TV show and I, I had a pretty good handle on what was going on most of the time. Uh, and it's, I, I, would, I would say it's actually probably worth seeing just for this, this one sequence in the middle. And, and you'll know which sequence it is. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're wrapped up in this, in this crazy kind of chase sequence and you're like, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's pretty fun. Great. So that's called, yeah, The Cursed Dead Man's Prey. Brilliant. We've got time for one more. We've got a bonus movie today, because you usually do four. OK, yeah, so there is one more, because it's one of those weeks oh, between we blockbusters, yep, yep, yep. really. This will take about 30 we've got, seconds. We've got, Dune next, okay. we've got Dune next week. OK, so this is... You know where this is going. This is a Japanese romance called Your Eyes Tell, and essentially right. it's about a guy fresh, fresh out of prison... Yeah. Young guy, fresh out of prison, gets a job uh, working at, as a car park security guard where this uh, young blind girl just sort of comes in, assumes he's somebody else, starts chatting and giving him snacks. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while before she realises that um, he's not who she thought he was. And nevertheless, a, you know, a friendship that turns into a relationship kind of happens between the two. And this is a, a bit of a mainstay of... Uh, Japanese romance where you've got like sort of the tough guy, the reformed tough guy and the cute as a button, innocent as, as whatever, young girl and how... As can be um, seen on the poster and as can be seen on, you know, pretty much every poster. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now the thing is that he, he obviously has a dark and shady past. Right. Uh, he, used to be a box, he used to be a boxer, he used to be involved in, in gangs. Uh, now when they find out that he's out of prison, his trainer wants to get him back in the ring to give him a bit of focus, but as soon as he does that, then his old... His old gang mates are like, okay, you fight, you're out, you're fighting again, we want you back on the underground circuit. And uh, you know, his life gets messy again and is only exacerbated when he discovers that maybe something he did years ago might have something to do with why the girl lost her sight. Okay. So it's it's long. All of these movies are long, and for the first sort of hour or so, you know, you trudge through it, kind of going, yeah, 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 get on with it, get on with it. <laughs> but once the second half kicks in, once he, you know, does go back into his old lifestyle and all the rest of it, and all of those kind of elements start sort of uh, twisting and turning, it's a I was actually eventually quite engaged in it. And although the performances aren't that engaging, you know, he is basically this sort of monolith of uh, you know, no emotion whatsoever. He doesn't articulate anything at all. Mm -hmm. And she seems to be um, making up for the fact that she can't see by sort of over gesticulating every muscle in her face. It's a performance choice that I, I didn't really care for. Yeah. The the very sort of tragic nature of their central romance did ultimately strike a chord. So, you know, it was a long walk, but it eventually got to a place where I was like, okay, that is kind of quite sweet and quite moving. Uh, but it's for it's for your Japanese romance diehards only, I think. Nice. Quick reminder of what we've had today. Curate's Egg, I think. Curate's okay. Ghoulstone, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's Your Eyes Tell. Uh, there's also The Cursed Dead Man's Prey, which is uh, kind of a fun 
Korean zombie movie. Yep. Uh, Don't Breathe 2 is, is inessential, for sure. Uh, Benedetta is Paul Verhoeven's sexy nun movie with a message. I thought that was really well worth watching. And there is the nine, post-9-11 drama Worth. James Marsh, brilliant. Always a pressure. Take care, rest up, love. Lots of Horlicks, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 